This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. We are called to community and we're called to mission, and we can't do that from a distance. Hi, I'm Carl Vaders, and welcome to The Church Lobby, conversations on faith and ministry. My guest in this episode is Tim Fox, and we'll be talking about why maybe you shouldn't live stream your church services. Tim is a denominational leader in Georgia, and he spent several years leading a small church into a healthy turnaround. He's also the author of Rethinking Church, Leading the Struggling Church Through Death to New Life. But in this podcast, we'll be talking about the content of a Facebook post he wrote that challenged the reasons that most churches live stream their services while offering some thoughtful alternatives. And don't forget to stick around when the interview is done. Even if you've skipped over my summations before, don't do it now. And here's why. For all previous podcast episodes, I have used my final words to summarize what you've just heard. But you don't need that, do you? No, you just heard it. If you want it summarized, you can go back and listen to it again. So instead, from this point on, if I have closing words, which I probably will most of the time, but maybe not all of the time, after the interview, I will add something new to the conversation that we didn't get in the conversation itself. Usually something that the conversation inspired in me as I thought about it. And that's what I'll do at the end of this episode. So stick around for that. Well, Tim Fox, it is great to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. You know, we've done, and regular listeners to this know that I often interview authors. You are an author. We'll talk a little bit about your book at the end. I've also done two or three podcasts based on Twitter feeds that I saw, but I'm pretty sure this is our first podcast based on a Facebook feed. (laughs) How about that? So yeah, so you're a pioneer, uh, at least on this on this <laughs> podcast. Anyway, J- yeah, just to bring everybody up to speed, you know, we all know what it's like. You know, you're going through Facebook, and and I see this uh, title. Maybe you shouldn't live stream your church service. And I got to tell you, my first thought was, oh, it's some old guy like me who's whining <laughs> about new technology and doesn't understand the value of these things. It's got to be that. And then first of all, I look at your photo and I go, okay, he's got some gray in his beard, but he's not old like me. He's not quite, not nearly as old as me. And more than that, as I started reading it, I saw some really great ideas in there that I thought would be really good for conversation because it doesn't go in the typical places. Mm, yes. So yeah, l- let me start with, so you basically say, I have a very unpopular opinion. Most, not all, but most churches should stop streaming their Sunday morning gathering. So since you're not an old guy like me who's just upset with technology, <laughs> what was it that motivated you, before we get into the details of the Facebook post, what motivated you to write this post to begin with? Yeah, so I first started talking about it in January of 2020. We did a conference called the Rethink Small Conference. And from stage, I told those gathered, like, you need to stop streaming your service to Facebook and YouTube right now. And then three months later, COVID hit and everybody (laughs) started streaming, including us. We didn't have a choice and we gave it some time. You know, everybody did what they had to do. But I think when we came back, I don't know that very many of us even asked the question, should we continue to stream after we're back? And so we just kept doing it and without any thought about it. And and in our role now, I coach pastors and work with churches and it's something I've been saying to them for the last year and, and of the churches that I've been saying it to only two of them. I've only been able to convince two so far. So um, that was kind of why I thought it was an unpopular opinion, but I yeah. felt like it, it needed to be said. Now it got way more traction in both directions than I expected. Oh, really? Oh yeah. I expected, you know, 
normal five or 10 people to read it and, and say something about it. And that would be it. And, you know, that's just Tim saying something weird and, and go on. Wow. Basically you're Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park at this point. Where you're saying <laughs> you, got, you were, you were so busy realizing that you trying to figure out how you could, you didn't bother to pause and think whether or not you should. That's a bad paraphrase, yeah. but that's the essence of it right there. Yeah, so, that's exactly it. Yeah. So let's take a look. You give eight reasons and just to tell everybody in advance and maybe to help them stick around in case for some whatever reason, they just don't <laughs> like the idea. Number four and number eight were the two that went, oh, for me anyway. Mm -hmm. All your arguments have some validity. Some of them I've heard before, but four and eight were the ones that made me pause and go, okay, he's onto something different than I expected here, but we'll yeah. make them wait until four and eight show up for that. And then you provide four very, very solid alternatives that show that you're not anti tech at all, and that you've got a logical through stream in your thought process here about what we're doing and why. So mm -hmm. let's walk through the eight. I'll just read each one out and then you'll give me some, some background on it. We'll, we'll uh, bounce it back and forth. Is that, that sounds good to you. All right. Yeah. Sounds great. Reason number one you gave was live streaming your services reinforces behavior contrary to your relational mission of disciple making. So is the idea that Sitting in front of the screen just doesn't allow for that to happen or walk us through that. Yeah. So I think that we forget sometimes that systems create behaviors. And if we want to change behaviors, we have to create a different system. And what happened during COVID, if we created a system to take preaching and worship into people's homes when they couldn't come out of their homes. And now that system that created a way for people to stay in their homes continues to create that behavior of people staying in their homes. But we're not called to simply dispense religious goods and services. We're not called to simply teach the word or to share in worship music, but we are, we're called to make disciples and worship is one of the components. We've created a system that reinforces that behavior and pulls people out of the closeness required for disciple making. It's what it, it feels like to me. If I can choose that and not have to go life on life with someone, I'm not going to have anyone ask where I was or how I've been doing. I'm not going to have to look anyone in the eye. Then it, it allows me to step out of the real disciple making process, but feel Christian and in church. Yeah, yeah. So in a in a world where a lot of church leaders now are talking about let's stop making so many rows and start making circles, the whole idea of us sitting mm. in rows and looking upward at someone on a stage is now a hyper realized when we're online because there's no physicality to it whatsoever, right? Yeah, yeah. A disembodied participation. For me, it doesn't feel like real participation unless yeah. it's our only option, right? Like if it's it's better right. than nothing. Like if you're homebound, if you are stuck, if uh, autoimmune disease, uh, any number of things, a pandemic, then it's a valid option in those seasons. But it doesn't mean all of us have to do it. Yeah. Plus, as we're talking about it, it's occurring to me, just the whole muscle memory thing. We are used to sitting on our couches, watching television to consume certain types of content entertainment, mm -hmm. news, et cetera. And we don't expect to engage with the news anchor or expect to engage with the sitcom star. We expect to be mm -hmm. entertained or informed by them. And that's the limit of our relational expectation. So if we are participating in church through the same venue, then subconsciously, mm -hmm. we're probably going to have about the same expectations, right? I think you're right. I think you can't separate form and function yeah. the way we're trying to. We're trying to take the function of the people of God gathering in worship for connection with him, connection with one another, for spiritual growth, and to funnel it through a screen, through a different form, and that form contradicts the function. To number two, which is it encourages a consumer mindset. Walk us through that. Yeah. So I think we kind of hit reference it a little bit in this mm -hmm. and what was said before is like, well, this is what we expect to get when we look at a screen. We don't expect right. engagement. We expect to just receive and to just be getting something that doesn't require us anything of us, especially if you think about 
how many of us sit in front of Netflix or whatever our favorite streaming thing is for any number of hours and disengage. We aren't fully participating or even watching what we're watching. So when we turn on the screen to watch worship, are we even really participating? But I think we take worship and turn it into a good to be distributed versus a community to be participated in and a spiritual discipline that shapes us. And even our language, right? We talk about services when we're in a culture that is very much now moved from commodities and, and goods and services to experiences. And what we're all looking for is an experience of God among his people. We're looking for that engagement with him that transforms our lives. But we've now said, here's what you really need. Here's what's really most important, that you listen to me preach and you listen to some songs. And if you're weird enough, you might stand in your living room and sing them by yourself with whoever's <laughs> on the screen, right? Like it's it's a good that I'm getting. You're giving me yeah. something and I might tip you in return with uh, the online giving option. Yeah, I mean, even that part that I laughed at, you know, if you're weird enough to stand and, and, and sing, it is interesting <laughs> that it enforces the passive behavior and the active behavior is neutralized at best, if not for all of us, including me, just completely gone. I'm not going to stand and worship along. That would be silly. At least it feels silly to me. If that's all you have and that's the time <laughs> that you can sing along at the church and you get that, that's great. But it really doesn't. It neutralizes that entirely. So yeah, the consumer mindset. Third one is this one. It fails to capture what is most important about the weekly gathering, but isn't me standing on stage talking to you the most important part of why we gather? With you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, of course, right? It's about it's about me. And I think that's, again, a part of the consumer mindset, a part of American Christianity that's become over-individualized. It's about me and Jesus and me in this moment of worship versus us in worship. It's about us praying our Father. It's about us engaging in worship together. And so we miss out on that presence. I mean, even, and, and there's something sacred about places, of worship. Yeah. Even you think about Isaiah six, when he was in, in the year that King Uzziah died, when, when things were falling apart in Israel, he went into the temple to engage with God. He knew that there was something about that place that was set apart that would do something to him emotionally, physically, spiritually, that would allow him to be aware of God's presence that for most of us, our living rooms are, are going to make it more difficult instead of helpful. Yeah, the physicality of the church, even if if you take a look around at like new church architectural trends, mm -hmm. what I've noticed is, well, years ago, the older a church I go into, the smaller the lobby is compared to the sanctuary. The newer mm -hmm. the church is, the more likely that the lobby is the same or even larger square footage than the sanctuary, because architects yeah. recognize the value of the physicality of the fellowship and gathering space. So at the same time that church architects are recognizing and leaning into, let's make sure that we create ways for people to have fellowship and to hang out online does exactly the opposite of that. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think we are finding, especially among younger generations, a hunger for connectedness. All of us after COVID are hungry for it, even if we're a little afraid of it or we're not as comfortable engaging in it. We know how much we need it and we need the spaces for it. And so in a lot of ways, the starting point for a lot of people's spiritual journey is the, the lonely put into families in the Psalms. I guess it's like, I put the lonely into families. The church is that family that the lonely are put into that they then find acceptance. They find belonging. They find God. If I can get people around God's people, then it's going to rub off on them and they're going to either lean in or they're going to run away. One of the two, but the best way, I think even to evangelize, but to make disciples, those are, you know, connected is in proximity. Yeah. It, whether you call it physicality or incarnational or whatever, it's such an important aspect of it. And it's completely removed when we're watching TV or whatever screen we're, we're watching on. Let's face it, most of us aren't watching it on a large screen TV. We're, <laughs> we're, it's on our phone as we're doing other stuff. 
Yep. As we're doing other stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Number four is the first one that made me go, oh, okay. He's going somewhere different here than I expected. So let's get to number four. It makes easily 90% of churches look worse, not inviting. Now, before I jump into this, I have heard this argument made by a couple other uh, bloggers and and, uh, podcasters and so on. And they did it in a way that made me feel icky. Like, <laughs> like maybe the reason people aren't coming to your church is because when they get online and watch your church service, it stinks. So why would they bother going? And it feels mm-hmm. condescending. And I don't get that sense from you. What I get a sense from is, hey, let's put best foot forward. That's how it feels. But you walk it through us. It makes 90% of churches look worse, not inviting. Where are you going yeah. with that? Uh, this was actually the first reason that I taught and talked about. And it was the reason we didn't live stream when I was pastoring a small local church, we knew the best things about us were not what was happening on our stage and that we needed to be aware of how easy it was to get a no before we even had a chance to get a yes. And I think that it can go for the large churches too. If it's so produced, then it feels out of reach and and disconnected to reality for a lot of people like that's so polished that church has people who are so put together that I wouldn't even fit there. I can't begin to take a chance on showing up there. So I think that it can go in lots of different directions and and you write about it. And I don't remember which one of the books, but like organizing your worship service in a way that puts what you're best at, at the beginning and the end of the service. So that's what people remember. So like, If you don't have great musicians, don't do five songs to start your service out. So I think it's connected to that. Like we can end up putting out there a version of ourselves that doesn't show our best selves. And then we get rejected before we even get a chance to meet people. And this can be for any number of reasons. It could be the quality of what's on stage, but we're not there to perform. We're there to worship. It could be just the quality of your camera. And the sound and not knowing how to run sound through a soundboard into whatever you're going to be using to cast, right? Like all of those components that make it very difficult to do it at a level that communicates what you want to communicate or it even begins to capture the experience in the room. That's over and over again, especially among small churches. We just can't capture how good our worship is on the screen. And I'm like, no, you absolutely can't. You'll never be able to. And so it's connected to that. So instead of looking like an inviting community that I could be a part of, it makes me think, oh, this maybe is not the right place for me. Yeah, it, it reminds me of, I, I tell the story occasionally about several years ago, I'm talking about the, the strengths of the small church to small church pastors. And I'm, one of the strengths mm-hmm. is that we can give people a chance to, we can give a lower on-ramp for people to do ministry. And that one of the examples I use as a young man, who was just beginning to play drums. And we had a Sunday where just him and one other person was all we had available. And so he got on and he started to play drums on a Sunday morning, his first time ever on a Sunday. He was like 12 at the time. And if you were in the room, you knew that kid. And even if you were in the room and you were new, when he came and started playing and you looked around at the reaction, you realized, okay, there's something else going on in this room other than a kid who's obviously never played drums very much before, because everybody's so into this, but you had to be in the room to understand what was going on on stage, that this was a kid who was putting himself out there for the first time ever, and that we all knew, and that we were cheering on. You watch that on a screen, you get none of that. Right. Whether it's a musician or someone preaching their first sermon, what a great opportunity that small churches have to raise up the next generation of communicators to let people test out that calling, all those kinds of things that you just can't, it it doesn't communicate what you're trying to communicate across the screen. You said earlier where, you know, just simply low tech. Yes, we now have access to something that we can live stream our service with, but to get to the level that makes it appealing when you're watching it at home and you don't know anybody in the service does take a higher level of cost and of skill than quite frankly, about 90% of churches even have access to. So uh, right. yeah, you're right. We're, we're not presenting ourselves at our best up front. And so like we're getting a no before we have a chance to get a yes. I love, I love the way that looks. So that was the first of the two that hit me. The last one is the <laughs> other one though, but we'll get there piece by piece. And they're, cause they're all good. Number five then was this, it allows a pseudo engagement with the Christian community. 
Yeah. We are called to community and we're called to mission and we can't do that from a distance. At best, we're consuming something, a worship stage performance, and then we're giving something and hoping somebody else does something with it instead of actually participating, instead of actually being a part of the community who is visiting the sick and taking care of the widow and the orphan who is pouring into the next generation. We can't do that consistently through a screen. Yeah. And I think your use of the word pseudo is helpful because pseudo implies that we think we have engaged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just that we aren't engaging. It's that we have ticked off the box of I've engaged in church when in fact we have not. So if you're not going to engage in church, but you know, you haven't, at least then there's a longing there to maybe do so. But if you have engaged in in church, but you think you have, (laughs) you've distanced yourself even further from the real thing. Yeah. And it goes all the way back to one. We're reinforcing that delusion by the way that we are streaming and putting this out there and inviting people just to watch the live stream. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And again, for anybody who thinks we're anti-tech and you're getting steamed up and mad at us, hang hang in with us. Tim gets (laughs) us some really great places where we can use tech well. So uh, hang in there. Mm -hmm. Number six, it gets in the way of our Christian community. Yeah. And I think it's connected, but it does. It creates a system in which I can feel like I've participated, but not actually participated. And so I've checked the box. I felt like I did my Christian duty, but I didn't engage in the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. I don't attend church. And so when I have felt like I attended church through the screen, through the live stream, not even just through the the live stream, I get the feeling of some level of connection, but it's not real. It's just a feeling. I don't have a real connection that's necessary. And as I, as I participate in that community, we see it in Acts. They, they ate together. They prayed together. They were committed to the word together. They served their community together. They gained, that's how they gained favor of all those around them. And God added to their numbers. And we're adding to our streaming numbers, but I don't know that we're adding to the body of Christ the way we think we are. These are number seven, which takes this idea of uh, this need for community, but expands it a little bit wider. It fails to engage the very real felt need for community among people outside the church. Yeah, I think it can be a beginning point, right? Like, and we can talk about this as we get into some of the alternatives, but people need a place to ask questions, to explore, to grow. We want to do that with people we trust. And unless we are rubbing shoulders, unless we're eating together, unless we're connecting, we're not going to then become that safe place for people. It's really hard to really pray and care for someone whose name you just see on comments on the live stream. It's really, really hard to get into listening to what's going on in their lives and the things that they're struggling with. It's really hard to eat with someone online. And it's really, really, really hard to serve. And so what we end up doing, I think, is some of the old school, man, this is going to sound bad. <laughs> live streaming is kind of like, I, I, this just put together for you. Live streaming is kind of like passing out tracks. It's kind of like leaving them on the bathroom uh, stall or giving it instead of a tip to your server. And you're you're here. Here's something for you that I can keep you at a distance. And people are so hungry for something real, right? Like something connected. They're they're hungry for spiritual connection. And the church has offered them services instead of family. Um, We've offered them goods. We've offered them something on a screen instead of inviting them to our table, inviting into our lives. And that's what we're supposed to be doing in my mind. And so I think for me, those outside the church, they're open to a conversation. We're not reaching them with our live stream. I think in desperate moments from time to time, we might turn one on. But let's be honest, if I'm not a believer and I'm going to look up for preaching, I'm going to end up with one of the 
the celebrity, and for those of you who are listening, in quotes, celebrity pastors and those churches that are, are doing it, that's where I'm going to start, right? Like, I'm not going to pick up the the church of 20 or 40 or 50 in Idaho's live stream and try to, to find something, but I'm going to look for a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, someone who can talk to me in a very real way. And my son illustrated this. He's a junior in high school and just put it out to both Christians and non-Christians in school. It had like 10 kids come to have a spiritual conversation in our home one night because they just needed a place to be able to talk about those things and ask questions together. And now a short break to talk about something else. If you like the content you're hearing, here are two things you can do for us. First, forward this podcast to a friend. Second, consider becoming a financial supporter through Patreon, Venmo, or PayPal. Just go to carlvaders.com support. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us put these resources into the hands of the ministries that need them the most. Our support link is in the show notes. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Now we get to number eight, which is the other one that kind of grabbed me as an aha. And we've really dealt with a lot of this already, but this kind of encapsulates a whole bunch of what we talked about already. Doing the live stream forces people to create a first impression based on your screen performance. This encapsulate, but it goes deeper than the others. The first impression is based yeah. on your screen performance instead of your church's loving engagement with God and people. And this to me yeah. is really important. Yeah. I feel like I tried to get deeper and deeper as we went mm -hmm. as, as in the way that they were ordered. So when I go to a church, we'll say a normal size church, right? Because I think that right. if 90% of churches are under 200, that's probably God's design, not our failure. Uh, we'll just call them normal churches. If I go into a normal church, I expect solid biblical preaching, but I don't expect to be blown away. I expect worship to be engaged with the people connected to that community, but I don't expect lights and haze, and and I don't expect that stage performance like I would at a concert, right? I don't expect a really high level of excellence in everything, but I expect you to pay attention to me. I expect you to meet me. I expect that you will remember me the second week. And that's going to make a massive impact on me. So yes, I expect in the larger church, the excellence, but I, I hope to be able to go in and hide sometimes uh, when I go to a larger church, right? Yeah. So we have these different expectations. And it, for most churches that are smaller, the thing that is really wonderful about them is the way they love people and love God together. And that's what draws people in. There are those who, at different seasons in their life, they go to a larger church, they need a larger church. That's the fit for that season or whatever. But there are lots of people who are looking for a spiritual family. And when we force them to make an impression of us from what we're putting out on the screen, instead of inviting them in to make their first impression, we lose the opportunity to even greet them with a handshake. We yeah. lose the opportunity to really engage with them around their name. Like we had this silly thing. When I was a, a local pastor and I was surprised at how important it became. We had a system for remembering everyone's name by the second time they came. Like we would call you by name when you walked up the it. second time. It was because your name is the most important word to you ever. It mm -hmm. just showed an extra level of care and love 
that you can do in a small church. You can't do that in a massive church. We are forcing then people to look at our screen because that's what they're going to do. They're going to go to Facebook and go to our website. If you have a live stream, they're going to look at it. And then they're going to decide whether or not to come. And they've never even met you. Not that you eliminate all of those components, but you make it so that they have to make that impression as they enter onto your property, as they meet the people in your parking lot, as they meet the people at your door, as they get to talk to the pastor after the service. That was one of the favorite things about pastoring a small church and being in a small church is I can have a conversation with the pastor. Like if I have a need, I can go mm-hmm. to him or her and be prayed for. And it makes such a difference. There are so many of us who are longing for that kind of connection and live stream. It just, if again, it forces someone to make that impression based on how well we did on stage and how yeah. well then it came across on the screen instead of how they, we engage them in loving community. Yeah. It reminds me of how a lot of companies screen potential employees by uh, getting thousands of resumes because it's so easy to put your company's position out there on a hiring site. And what you end up doing is your first screen, your first screening is you're not screening up people who would be bad employees. You're screening up people who don't fill out resumes. Well, you're testing the (laughs) wrong thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great connection as a church. That's people aren't looking for a church that necessarily does the technical stuff. Well, but that does the caring stuff well. And that's not what we're putting out. There's no way to put that out on a a live stream. It's just not there. And this is, I think, connected to it. So we look in the old Testament and God says, as there, as, as Samuel is exploring David as the future King, like, Oh, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And we put this out there on live stream, expect people to look at our heart, but unspiritual people are always going to look at the outside first and they're going to make a judgment based on the outside. And so we have to be aware of that. If we're going to get a chance to show them our heart, they're making that judgment, like you said, on the wrong thing. And we're making it easy for them to do it. Those are the eight challenges, the eight reasons why your church probably shouldn't be live streaming, according to Tim Fox. Now, (laughs) according to Tim Fox, he's going to give us alternatives. So you are not going to just think that he's an old guy who's (laughs) anti-tech because he's not an old guy and he's not anti-tech. So let's take a look at this. Here are some four alternatives that you lay out. Your your first suggestion is this. Develop and implement a digital disciple-making strategy that creates small bites of content and digital engagement opportunities for those who may never come to church. So with small bites, one of the things I want to do in the bonus material, I want to walk through with you some uh, steps of what a digital disciple-making strategy might look like. So for those of you who Mm -hmm. do want that, I encourage you, you can get the bonus material for this and any of the podcasts by going to carlvaders.com slash support. If you become a Patreon supporter, you get all the free links to that. Or you can get it for free by going to carlvaders.com slash subscribe, subscribe to the weekly newsletter, and you will get the link that you can get the bonus material. So we'll go into some details about the disciple-making strategy there, but let's walk through it, this idea of small bites and an intentional discipleship-making strategy. What would that look like? Well, I think it could look a lot of different ways, and that's why I didn't like lay out what that might be. But if you could, if churches would even just ask this question, how could we leverage technology to make disciples? What could we do that would actually help? Could we create small posts that are the short form videos that put out a spiritual idea that allow people to engage in a conversation with a question? Do we create rooms or use things like Zoom to create small groups where people can explore? Do we do do we create a virtual alpha course? where people can walk through portions of it online, but then come together for the final retreats. Or I think there's probably dozens of different ways we could do this. We're just not even asking that question. I mean, we're not even asking the question, how are we making disciples in our local church? Like we're just doing whatever curriculum study, uh, Sunday school, whatever we've done. We're not asking, is this actually producing disciples? And what does it, what do we even mean by a disciple in this local church and context? What are we wanting to create? So ask those questions, start to answer them and then produce what will get you there. Yeah. 
is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you after reading this post, because you're not just uh, negating the value of tech. You're not just saying, ah, let's just toss it. You're, you're asking deeper questions. So deeper question number one was, should we even be doing this rather than how to? And the second question is, okay, if we're going to, what question should we ask? Like, how can we actually use it proactively to create disciples? But most of us are only asking the question, how do I get online? <laughs> exactly. We're not asking, should we, or why do we want to? We're just asking how to. Yeah. And the extent of what too many churches I'm in do is a iPhone or iPad on a mm -hmm. tripod in between the first two rows of chairs. And, and it's, that's their streaming. Yeah. And without strategy. Right. Without any strategy, without any purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And the good thing is for small churches, it doesn't cost you any money to think and ask questions deeper. It takes a little more time. It takes a little more thought. And it may eventually be something that you got to spend some money on, but the initial questions don't even cost you any money. You just got to pause for a bit yeah. and go, let's ask some deeper questions. I, and I want to add like the kinds of things you would do in an intentional discipleship strategy can actually be done very inexpensively versus yeah. trying to stream a service that can't be done well inexpensively. Good point. Good point. Yep. Number two, podcast the message for those who miss, want to share, or want to listen to an inspiring, helpful message again. Why is the podcast different than the live stream? Yeah, because it doesn't give people the excuse or an easy way to miss out on the community being together. But it acknowledges the fact that sometimes we can't, but I would say it just uh, not even a video podcast, an audio podcast, mm -hmm. because when it comes to this long form content, most of us are going to listen to it, engage with it while I'm on a walk, while I'm at the gym, while I'm driving down the road, I'm not going to sit and watch it, but I can listen to it and I can share it easily and engage with it again if I need to. And someone can listen to it if they miss and it's so cheap and easy, right? Like it's so yeah. much easier to do that than it is to try to live stream. Yeah, which relates to the third, your third alternative. And they both have this in mind in that we delay the presentation of it. Number three is post the video later as a support, not as an alternative to participation in person. So on both of these, the podcast and posting the video later, the delay of putting the content out there is a big part of it. Why is it important in your mind to delay it? I think it has to do with, let me put it this way. We have a tendency in the church to try to do way too many things. And in doing so, we create competing environments, Sunday school and small groups. Which one am I supposed to go to? Which one's more important? And so this, we create a competing environment between our live stream and our in-person worship gathering. So it's a competing environment pulling people from the priority. Whereas if it's later, it doesn't pull anyone away from the priority gathering and the thing that really is important to, to who you are as the church. So it, by just delaying it, you eliminate the competition with yourself. And, and again, you eliminate some of the, the other challenges that we've already talked about. Because as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, I never, even when I'm traveling and I want to watch my home church, I don't do it at the time it's happening. I don't watch the live stream. I watch the recording later, but mm -hmm. it occurs to me if I were to be someone who was, you know, an average church attender or someone who's looking for a church, the fact that the church isn't presenting it as an equal time at the same time, concurrent alternative to the in-church service subconsciously what I'm hearing from that church is that this is not an instead of attending thing. Mm -hmm. This is yeah. supplemental to and not in replacement of because it's not happening at the same time. I think it's very subtle and, and, and probably subconscious for most people, but I think there's yeah. a strength to the subconsciousness of that. And I think that's the challenge. We've not asked that question. What behaviors are we reinforcing unintentionally? We create this behavior. Like there was a comment, one of my friends, the week they stopped live streaming after COVID, the next Sunday, there were a hundred more people 
in their in-person gathering. But then on the, the funny side was three months later, he ran into someone who told him they'd been watching the live stream and they hadn't live streamed in three months. So, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do <laughs> to some degree, but we're actually hurting ourselves. Yeah. 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 I hear that. Okay. So yeah, the delay does, I, I, I see where the delaying, you're still putting the content out. You're still, so that when somebody's still moved to town, looking for a new church to go to, can get online, can watch a couple of your services, you're still making that available to them. Presenting it as a supplement to rather than alternative to, I think is a really important principle by just simply the timing that we do. That struck me when I read it the first time too. And I, I appreciate hearing that again. And then the fourth one is this, invest the money in making it an awesome front door of the church inviting online folks to become in-person guests at events and gatherings. How is putting some funds into this and making it better? At first read, it almost feels like it contradicts some of the early stuff. So dig yeah. yourself out of that hole, Tim. Yeah, I don't know that I can. I don't really, this is my least favorite alternative, right? Like to yeah. be honest, yeah. I but it. it is my least favorite. But I think if you can do it well, and you bring the components together of encouraging people to watch this in a home gathering or a gathering with others versus watching it by themselves and have someone, part of the investment is someone who is engaging them in person, right? Like yeah. if, you know, if I'm thinking about it as I'm a missionary in my neighborhood and I'm going to start inviting people to do this together in my home that's different than me sitting at home in my pajamas with my coffee, watching it while I'm scrolling through Facebook, right? Like that's a very yeah, different yeah. experience. So I think there's ways to do it. I think there's ways to use it as a front door instead of an alternative, but you have to constantly communicate that. You've got to communicate that vision. Really, I think probably every time you stream. You have to say what this is and what it's for and invite people into community, knowing some won't. I mean, you look at one of the ways that we can view Jesus ministry is, you know, he fed thousands and and told them great stories and then invited those who were ready into discipleship. So if you want to see this as the thousands that you're engaging in a meaningful way and inviting to another step, that next step always, I think, has to be in person. Life on life, uh, which is a weird statement in itself, but this connection, this real embodied relationship with other people that allows us to grow spiritually. I've seen do this, the live stream engagement the best have typically done something like that there's a person that is assigned to be the online pastor uh, who mm -hmm. will engage in the chat, who will say, hey, I'm here from the church. If anybody has any questions, just type it in the chat. I'll answer when I can. Even at certain points during the service, if they're going to take communion five minutes before, may say, hey, go you go and get these potential alternative sacraments that you can take that take us together, these uh, material goods that you can get. You can use a, a grape juice. You can use a Gatorade if that's all you got. Don't worry about it. You can <laughs> use a cracker, a piece of bread, whatever. Let them know. Let's do that mm -hmm. together. And even during the sermon, There'll be times when uh, the chat person will go, hey, I'd love to talk about that point about such and such later. So hang in there later if you want to have some questions about that. Yeah. If the pastor presents a particularly controversial subject or something that you simply want to engage people in, and then they stick around and they're available to chat afterwards. And if you, like you say, if you do that every single week, then the people who start engaging online, that's a part of their experience is that engagement. And my, I don't have any data on this, but my guess is that when you do that, and then you also add to that, I'm here in person, if you ever want to, we're doing this during our second service, but if you want to actually, you know, hang out with me in person, I'm always here and we can hang out if you come to first service or whatever, it can yeah. pull people in, but it has to be intentional if it's going to work at all. So yeah, there's so much here, so much else we could go into, but what, as I mentioned earlier, we will get into digital disciple making strategy steps that you have ideas for in the bonus material. But before we get into the lightning round, you have also written a book that I'd like you to let our folks know about. It's called Rethinking Church, Leading the Struggling Church Through Death to New Life. Now, you are not currently a pastor, but you did pastor a church and you did help a struggling church come through to that. Is that where this the content of the book comes from? Sure. When I wrote the book, I was the pastor of Hydrant Church in Goldsboro, North Carolina. I went there in 2012, and there weren't a lot of models for this at the time. 
In fact, I didn't know anyone else uh, who was doing it. But we, after about a year, closed the church. And then uh, so we closed Goldsboro Wesleyan Church and relaunched it with a remnant as Hydrant Church. And then we led it for another nine years, passed it on to one of our staff people when I moved into this role. But so this tells the story of really the things I learned and what God did in me through leading in a small church and in a restart over the course of those nine years. So it, it there's part revitalization, part planting, part just pastoring in those small, difficult environments. We were, Goldsboro is a military town that turned over 30% every three years. And our church turned over anywhere from 25 to 50% every year. And so we never were bigger than about 200. But after a while, we began to help other small churches begin to figure out how they could be great, but not be focused on getting big. And so I half jokingly say it's 11 chapters of here's what I did wrong and here's what I learned. Here's how I failed and here's what I learned. So I'd be at all familiar with writing a book that goes along those lines. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you and me both, buddy. All right. Yeah, we will put a link to that in the show notes for anybody who's interested in following up with Tim's book. But before we do let you go and get into the bonus material, let's do the lightning round questions. Four of them coming up. All righty. What are the biggest changes you've seen in your field of ministry in the last few years and how have you adapted to it? Wow. The biggest changes is that people, I think it's maybe the opposite, that people are still people. And while we Mm. want to move more and more toward tech, we need to move more and more toward engagement and incarnational ministry. And so maybe it's maybe if I were to phrase it as a, a challenge or a change, it is the move away from polished performance to authentic engagement. One of the things I help small churches find a new way to do that, but then restarting. We, we work with churches across several denominations doing restarts where they can reimagine life as they lay down the life they've had for the life God would bring to them. And it's a great strategy and opportunity in a season where COVID sped up decline. Yeah, that's huge. This, As we know, this generation is the most oversold and overperformed to in world history and they are they're jaded for that now and i think have a real hunger for genuine community so that's huge a uh, second question what free resource like an app or a website has helped you lately that you'd recommend for small church ministry i think the first would be glue the he gets us ads that you probably see g-l-o-o right g-l-o-o yep, yep. Sorry, go ahead. g-l-o-o you've seen the the ads for he gets us and what happens is they connect anyone who is texting in to those numbers directly to the local church. And they provide the texting app and the way to do that in a huge way. So I've had pastors in very small communities who are getting two or three texts a day from people in their community asking questions. So free, great resource. I love Church Track online. It's uh, one of the more inexpensive and um, flexible church management software out there that really is good for small churches and uh, giving you some of the tools that you need that can get very expensive. So that would be a couple of apps. And I love, oh, sorry, I love Text in Church. I've, I've loved them for a long time. Terrific. Uh, what's the best piece of ministry advice you've ever received? Uh, I'd say two things. Start with what only you can do. And for me, that means my soul, my emotions, my body, my spouse, my kids. I mean, other than that, someone else will eventually do everything else I do. So I have to start there. And the other thing that someone said to me is no one cares how many people are there, but every single person who's there cares about how you made them feel. Yeah. That's huge. I love both of those. Very, very good. And then the last one, what's the funniest or weirdest thing you've ever seen in church? <laughs> Let's be honest. Everything we do is weird, <laughs> right? Like we, we dedicate babies. We 
we dunk people in tanks of water one after another. We fully we closed eat, in front of their friends and family. Right. For, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We eat bread and juice and call it body and blood. Like, yeah. and, and, you know, confession is really weird. Like, but so I think everything we do is kind of weird to be honest. Yeah. You and know, that's, maybe that's what's a, wonderful. That's a great point. We're used to it. But if you pause every once in a while and ask yourself, what must it have been like for the first disciples to have, you know, engaged people in church who've never done this before and say, here's what we're going to do. Uh, yeah. And here's what it means. It's all very, very unusual. If anybody wants to follow up on this or anything else, how can people find you online? Find me on Facebook, obviously, after that post. But uh, the rethinkingleader.com is where you can find my website there i do coaching consulting connecting but uh, those are probably the two best places to connect we will put a link to that original facebook post that we've been talking about in the show notes to all of the other resources and apps that tim mentioned and we're going to be heading into the bonus material soon about creating a digital disciple making strategy uh, so if you do want to get the bonus material again go to carlvaders.com support or carlvaders.com subscribe and if you either become a supporter or a subscriber to the newsletter, you will get the link to all of the bonus material for all of the podcasts that we put bonus material on. Tim, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for a yeah. thoughtful approach to a subject that a lot of people have had a lot to say about, but very <laughs> few think through at the level of questioning that you do. So I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It was a, yeah, I really enjoyed being on today. You got it. So my takeaways are going to be different from this point on, as I mentioned earlier, and I've been thinking about this interview and instead of just summarizing it, I want to share with you what I've been thinking about since we've done it. What keeps coming back to my mind is this. We don't have a clue about using digital content in the church. We don't. A lot of good people are doing great work on how to use digital content better, but this reality is so new and it's changing so fast that let's be fair about it, we are playing catch up with what is still an industry in its infancy. Digital content, especially digital content for the church, is at its very, very beginning stages and we don't know what it's capable of. We don't know what it's doing to us. We don't even know whether our best ideas on digital will be helpful or harmful in the long run to the people that we're presenting it to. We don't. We really don't know yet. So my advice is this. Use it, but be careful with it. Why? First of all, use it because we'll never answer these important questions if we don't use it. You can't learn it if you don't use it. But be careful because we really don't know its effects. So don't see it as a, as a cure-all. Don't see it as the devil in disguise either. It's new. It's difficult. We are unsure about it. We've got to get better at it, but we need to use it with some humility. What we do know, however, is that what we've been doing, not just for the last decade, but for the last two millennia, as Jesus has been building his church, we do know that gathering in person with God's people to worship Jesus is always the right thing to do. This episode was produced by Veronica Beaver. It was edited by Phil Vaders. Original theme music was written and performed by Jack Wilkins of jackwilkinsmusic.com. The graphic design is by Solomon Joy. And me, I'm Carl Vaders, and I hope to talk with you again in the church lobby.